0: Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and this week I have a quick and dirty tip about the commonly confused words, yay, yay, Y-E-A, yeah and yes. I have a meaty middle about putting two spaces after a period, and we'll see why English is a Spanish omelet. Two of my friends, Trent Armstrong, the former Modern Manners guy, and Hyatt Bass, the author of the novel The Embers, asked about the word yay, Y-A-Y, and why people often seem to incorrectly use yay, Y-E-A, or yeah instead. Y-A-Y is an exclamation that shows feelings such as excitement, joy, happiness, triumph, and approval. The origin is fuzzy, though. Some dictionaries say it came from Ya, yeah, but most seem to think it evolved from the adverbial yay, in the phrases yay big and yay high. But then the Oxford English Dictionary says that the yay, Y-A-Y, in yay high, probably came from yay, Y-E-A. And you wonder why people are confused. But no matter where it came from, the first example sentence for Y-A-Y in the Oxford English Dictionary is from 1963, and it is fabulous. Here it is. He talks surfy talk, cowabunga, wipeout, I'm getting stoked, yay, Grammys. And Grammys are young or inexperienced surfers who are often annoying. It comes from gremlins. But back to yay. Y-E-A is a much older word that can be traced all the way back to Old English and has parallels in all the Germanic languages. It's another way of saying yes or indeed. It can be an adverb, as in, squiggly loved the chocolate, yay, he reminisced about it for weeks. Or it can be a noun, as in, aardvark was one of 30 yays in favor of limiting access to the lake. Today, most people use this kind of yay when they're talking about voting. Finally, yeah is an informal way of saying yes that was being used in America by the early 1900s. Yeah is still labeled as informal or colloquial in many dictionaries, and some manners guides and articles on professionalism advise readers that yeah is sloppy, and yes is the only mannerly professional response. I tend to say yeah instead of yes, but I'm working on it. Although people do object to the use of Y-E-A and yeah to mean yay-Y-A-Y, And many of those uses probably do happen because people are confused about the different meanings and spellings. I also like to remember that people shout the word yes when they're excited too. So it's not necessarily incorrect to use yeah or yay, Y-E-A, in such situations. And that was your quick and dirty tip. You usually mean Y-A-Y when you're shouting for joy and Y-E-A when you're talking about voting. Yeah indicates the affirmative, but you'll sound more polite and professional if you stick with yes. Before we get to the meaty middle, I want to remind you about my game that's available on the iPhone and iPad. It's called Grammar Pop, and you match words with their part of speech to pop clouds. Summer is just around the corner. My students took their finals yesterday so if you're looking for something fun, but educational to keep your kids occupied, check out Grammar Pop. And sorry there's no Android version, I assure you it is not for lack of trying. If you learned to type on a typewriter, you are going to hate what I say next. Do not put two spaces after a period. Don't do it. Just use one. I know. I know. I was taught to use two spaces after a period in my high school typing class, too. But you know what? It's not that hard to break the habit. I haven't been tempted to type two spaces for decades. It's not like quitting smoking. I don't find myself in nostalgic typewriting situations and suddenly get hit by an unexpected urge to type two spaces. The modern and easy-to-follow style is to put one space after a period. I'm not making this up to torment you. Typesetters write and beg me to tell people to only use one space. If you use two spaces, they just have to delete them. Yes, it's not that hard to do with search and replace, but it's not that hard to put dishes in the dishwasher either, and you don't like doing that, do you? If sympathy for typesetters doesn't move you, I'm willing to bet you're a rule follower. I don't have a lot of heck-with-the-rules types of readers or listeners. And everyone who makes the rules today agrees. It's a one-space world. The Chicago Manual of Style, the U.S. Government Printing Office Style Manual, the Publication Manual of the American Psychological Association, and the AP Stylebook are just a few of the style guides that recommend one space after a period. Now the story of spaces after periods is often told as though monospaced typewriter fonts needed two spaces after a sentence for good readability and that the wide availability of proportional fonts on computers led to the switch to one space. In monospaced fonts, the letters are all the same width. So an I is the same width as an M, for example. But in proportional fonts, the letters are different widths, so an I is much narrower than an M. But the story of spaces at the end of sentences may be more complicated than the traditional lore, because in the years of professional printing before the typewriter, typesetters tended to use wide spaces at the end of sentences, whether their fonts were monospaced or proportional. Yet it is true that during the era of the typewriter, two spaces ruled. And then once computers became the dominant tool for typing, one space became the standard. In HTML and many blogging platforms, no matter how many spaces you type, they get turned into one space. If you want multiple spaces, you have to hard code it in using the HTML code for a space such as ampersand and BSP semicolon. That means the program won't break a line at the space is a way to keep two words together so they don't end up on two lines, such as a date or a name. But using the NBSP code is also a way to force HTML to include more than one space. You may also be surprised to learn that professional typesetters use different kinds of spaces. I first learned about these when I heard about something called a thin space, That's what typesetters often use between a single quotation mark and a double quotation mark that have to go next to each other. A full space between them would look weird, but if you put nothing between them, they run together too much. So typesetters use an extra narrow, thin space to give the two punctuation marks a slight separation. Typesetters use the various spaces available to them to do things such as align tables, set mathematical formulas, and properly align poetry. And that was your meaty middle. The current standard is to use one space after a period at the end of a sentence. But it wasn't always that way. And you learned some interesting things about typography, too. Finally, to celebrate Cinco de Mayo, this week's tidbit is an excerpt from the book Word Workout, and it's about English words that come from Spanish. The oira podrido of English is heavily spiced with Spanish. From California to Texas to Florida, all Spanish names, English is a Spanish omelet. People live in cities and towns with Spanish names like San Antonio, Santa Fe, Las Vegas, and Los Angeles. They drive on streets with Spanish names and live in Spanish-style houses and developments with often mangled Spanish names. They admire Hispanic flora and enjoy Hispanic food. Spanish surrounds them, and whether they realize it or not, they speak it every day. In the 16th century, when Spain was exploring and conquering the New World, Spanish exerted its earliest influence upon English. By 1600, English had acquired alligator, anchovy, banana, cannibal, cocoa, hurricane, mosquito, potato, sassafras, sherry, sombrero, and tobacco. By 1700, English had adopted cargo, barricade, escapade, siesta, matador, torridor, tomato, Chocolate, vanilla, and cockroach. By 1750, English had gained the geological term mesa, and by 1780, the word stevedor, from estibador, one who packs or loads cargo, which preceded longshoreman, is Anglo Saxon equivalent by more than 20 years. In 1850, English had appropriated the now familiar canyon, bonanza, loco, and vigilante. As 19th-century American pioneers pushed west into territory long dominated by Spain and later Mexico, the idiom of the cowboy grew out of the vernacular of his counterpart, the vaquero. From the vaqueros, the cowboys adopted the word ranch, rodeo, lasso and lariat, chaps, poncho, serape, Stampede, Desperado, and Buckaroo, an Anglicization of vaquero. The Buckaroos learned new names for creatures. Burro for a donkey, Pinto for a piebald horse, Cinch for a bed bug, and Coyote for a wild dog. I saw a coyote this morning. They ate frijoles, chiles, tamales, and enchiladas. Mm Hmm and if a buckaroo drank too much mescal or tequila he might wind up in the calaboose or the huscow the jail other borrowings from the heyday of the old west include hacienda patio arroyo ombre amigo and pronto The Spanish contributions to the American vocabulary are far more numerous than those of any other continental language, observed H.L. Mencken in the American language. Think about that the next time you're sitting on the patio of your hacienda sipping sherry, taking a siesta, eating some vanilla ice cream with sliced bananas, or gazing at a stampede of mosquitoes in the canyon. And that was an excerpt from Word Workout by Charles Harrington Elster, presented here with permission from St. Martin's Griffin. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find more of my work at quickanddirtytips.com. And while you're there, check out our 14 other shows. This podcast was recorded in the studios at the Reynolds School of Journalism at the University of Nevada. That's all. Thanks for listening.